This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to Exodus chapter 20. There's an account in the Old Testament book of 1 Kings that illustrates the theme of our passage with a remarkable story. 1 Kings chapter 21 tells of a godly man named Naboth who owned a vineyard just next to Ahab, the king of Samaria. So Ahab said to Naboth, give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it's near my house and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth didn't even consider giving up his vineyard because it was a treasured possession that was passed down to him as an inheritance from his father. Ahab went home to his infamous wife Jezebel, who you may have heard of, and told her about the conversation. Then he moped around the house for a couple of days. He wouldn't even eat. He was so upset about not getting what he wanted. And so Jezebel said to her husband in verse 7, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth. And then Jezebel composed a plan for how the couple could get what they wanted. During an orchestrated moment of a dinner party, two worthless men, the Bible says, stood up and bore false witness against Naboth. Um, One accuser on his left side, the other on his right. They lied about him, accusing that he had cursed God and the king. And with those two witnesses corroborating the evidence, Naboth was found guilty of breaking the law and immediately sentenced for his imaginary verbal sins. Naboth was stoned to death on the spot. And when word reached King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, they took possession of Naboth's vineyard and they took possession of his very life. In this brief story, we hear a whole set of dominoes spill all over the second table of the Ten Commands. The sin that began with coveting, breaking the Tenth Commandment, led to bearing false witness, which broke the ninth commandment. Words stole the reputation of Naboth, violating the seventh commandment, which resulted in murder, the sixth command. So through this rehearsal of sins, we hear echoes of a specific type of sin. Sins of the tongue. There was not just one, but a pair of false witnesses in that story, working in harmony with the queen, who all lied through their teeth, resulting in the death of an innocent man whose only crime was owning a beautiful vineyard. The theme we turn our attention to this morning is that of words. Words are not little things. They are far more than merely combinations of syllables and inflection. Words carry weight. And while many of us will not sit on a jury with the life of another person in the balance of our verdict, there are many ways in which our words can have irreparable impact 
on another person. The American poet Emily Dickinson wrote, A word is dead when it is said, some say. I say it just begins to live that day. When we speak, our words don't just fall to the ground and die. They fall on the ears of other people and become living things that have lasting impact. The scripture explains in Proverbs 18.21 how death and life are in the power of the tongue. I wonder what words were spoken to you that you still carry to this day. Or maybe how you've used your words to injure another person that you would give anything to take it back. The question each of us are asked from our text is, do we speak like every word matters? The ninth commandment speaks to how we use our speech. The scope of this command spans from the courtroom to the classroom, from casual conversation to social media communication. And we are taught not to waste words with lies and deception and gossip. Rather, we're to honor God by using our words for worship, for witness, and for building one another up. Every word matters. And we'll hear from Exodus 20, verse 16, how we are commanded to do two things. First, silence the sins of the tongue. And second, honor the Lord with every word. So there's our heading. Would you stand with me as we read together from God's holy and inerrant word? Though written long ago, speaks to us today. Exodus chapter 20. Verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. First, we learn we are to silence the sins of the tongue. In Jerry Bridges' helpful book entitled Respectable Sins, He includes a chapter, only four pages in length, called Sins of the Tongue. And there he summarizes these sins as gossip, lying, slander, critical speech, even when true, harsh words, insults, sarcasm, and ridicule. In fact, we would have to say that any speech that tends to tear down another person, either someone we're talking about or someone we're talking to, is sinful speech. For our purpose this morning, we're going to look at the passage at the original context of it and then carefully work our way out from there to see what else is involved in these words. And I'd like to present three areas of speech this command teaches us to avoid. First, bearing false witness. There are six different ways of saying false witness in Hebrew. And Several of the Hebrew words in this verse are legal terms that tell us the immediate application of this command is the courtroom. 
It is before a judge that God's people are told not to lie about their neighbor, to put it in our modern parlance there, to tell the truth, the whole truth, and we'll get better on that. Yeah. Anything less than the truth could result in dire consequences. The ninth commandment forbids the deadliest lie, one that condemns an innocent man for a crime he did not commit. And didn't we just see that in 1 Kings chapter 21? When this command was written down on stone, many crimes carried with them the death penalty. The legal system at the time was not based on the Western judicial conviction of innocent until proven guilty. Rather, a person was considered guilty until proven innocent. And in the, in the days that predate forensic science, and DNA tests, and digital footprint. The most reliable proof was the testimony of a witness. Therefore, to bring an accusation against someone, you had to have not one, but two witnesses, so that one person couldn't destroy the life of another through a false witness. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15 says... A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. So one witness would not be enough. You'd have to have two people, like we found lying about Naboth a moment ago. Another step in the process of accusation, if it was one that required the death sentence, would be the person bringing the accusation had to throw the first stone. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 7, tells us where that's found. We also see this in the New Testament, don't we? In John chapter 7, at the very end of it, into the beginning of chapter 8, there's a woman caught with witnesses in the act of adultery. And the punishment for that was stoning. You have to have a witness, an accuser. And so the accusers of the woman caught in sin come to Jesus, throw her at his feet, report the crime. Of course, Jesus in his wisdom reveals that each of them somehow also were guilty of breaking the law. And so no one threw the first stone that day. The main idea of this command teaches us that if we are summoned to appear as a witness in a trial... We are commanded to tell the truth. Today, the result of bearing false witness against another person may not result in their life being taken, but certainly it often brings about the destruction of an entire life. God forbids his people to bear false witness against anyone. Second, we're also prohibited from all lies and deceit. It may appear at first glance, provided we don't commit perjury while under oath, we've we finally reached a command that we don't break regularly. Well, I have bad news for you. This surely applies to the courtroom, but it's not confined only there. This command covers the entire Christian life. Some older translations render this verse, you shall not lie. And all kinds of lying is in view. The dark craft of lying is as old as time itself. The first record of lying took place in the Garden of Eden itself by the 
hiss of a serpent, the father of lies. John 8, 44 gives Satan that title. And from there we find lying exposed throughout the scripture. In Genesis 4, Cain lies to God about the murder of his brother. Jacob deceived in order to gain a birthright. King Herod lied to the wise men about his intent to kill the Messiah born in the town of Bethlehem. Ananias and Sapphira lied to the church about this offering that they had given to God. And every lie is not merely against that person, but it is a lie against the God of all truth. God who has made us in his image. The one who has no error that has given us to display his character in the world. It's a lie against others and against God himself. We can lie by saying things that are simply untrue. And we've all done that. We can lie by exaggerating the events of our past, like all of you high school athletes in this church. We can lie by inflating accomplishments on a resume in order to get a a job. We can leave out information that would have been helpful for the whole story, or we can even summarize things in a way that aren't really as they happened. Psalm 34 Verse 13 says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. So in the ninth command, we're prohibited from lying and deception. The ninth word also covers gossip and slander. Proverbs 18.8 says, the words of a whisperer, or your translation might say gossip, are like delicious morsels. They go down in the inner parts of the body. We know it should not be this way, but there's something about the taste of gossip in our mouths that is delicious. Something about passing on secret information that pleases. Something about slandering another person that satisfies. Alistair Begg tells the story of a 16th century preacher that had a church member confess to the regular sin of slander. And he asked her, the pastor asked the woman, do you frequently fall into this sin? And she replied, yes, very often. Knowing she'd trusted in Christ, he comforted her, reminding her, your fault is great, but God's mercy is greater. That's an important word for those of you who are Christians. And then he gave her a most peculiar assignment that also was a lesson. He said, go to the nearest market and purchase a freshly killed chicken, still covered with its feathers. You will then walk a certain distance, plucking the bird as you go along. And when you finish your work, return to me here. The woman did as the preacher instructed and returned, anxious for an explanation. Ah, said the preacher. You've been faithful to the first part of my instructions. Now, retrace your steps and gather up all the feathers that you've scattered. But I can't, protested the woman. I cast them carelessly on every side and the wind carried them in every direction. How can I recover them? The preacher said, and so it is with your words of slander. Like feathers, 
They've been scattered carelessly and cannot be recalled. Go and sin no more. Let us be a people committed to not have the feathers of our words, our gossip or our slander just scattered about. Unable to retract them, unable to collect them because we cannot take them back. And let me just pause here at the end of this first point and speak to you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. There is a warning for you and me in this ninth command. The sins of bearing false witness, of lying and deceit, of gossip and slander are not something we can take lightly just because our culture does, because our God does not. I want to show you how God's heart burns against these sins. Proverbs 16, verses 16 to 19 read, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. Of the seven subjects listed that are qualified to be an abomination to the Lord, three of them deal with spoken sins. How we use our words with one another is so significant to the Lord and so critical for our flourishing as his people that one of the Ten Commandments addresses this. Our words matter. With our words, we can pain another person. With your words, you can mar a marriage. With your words, you can fracture a family or a friendship. With your words, you can untie the unity of a church. Our words don't die when they are said. They live to either bring life or death. So our call is to silence the sins of our tongue. The second lesson from this command is that we are to honor the Lord with every word. Last week we looked at how the Heidelberg Catechism talked about the eighth command. I'd like to do the same thing here with the ninth. Heidelberg asks, what is the aim of the ninth commandment? The answer, that I never give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone rashly or without a hearing. Rather, in court and everywhere else, I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind. These are the very devices the devil uses, as they would call down on me God's intense wrath. Then it goes on to show how we should steward our words. I should love the truth, speak it candidly, and openly acknowledge it. And I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. So we looked at the negative aspect of the things the ninth command prohibits with our language. Now let's flip the coin to the other side and look at the positive side of this command using that Heidelberg definition, the latter part of it, as a, as a sketch outline. Now, I'm just going to briefly outline these things, 
And in doing so, I'm going to give you some homework. So I want you to continue to talk about these applications, if you will, with your spouse or with your children, with your community group, with people that you love and follow Jesus with. The first thing we learn is that we are commanded to speak the truth, to be people who speak the truth. Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16 says, These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. The New Testament echoes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So we're commanded to not tell lies, we're also to tell the truth. We are to speak the truth only to one another and speak the truth only about one another. Is there someone that you have sinned against, even that might be, the Lord might lay conviction on your heart in this moment, that you've sinned against through gossiping about them, through lying to them? Today you can repent of your sin and run to Christ who alone can bring forgiveness. And you're still living. So if that person's still living, you even have the opportunity to make things right with them. I encourage you, don't wait another day. Make things right. And then as we move forward, these are just helpful questions, I think, for us to ask ourselves before we pass on information about someone to another person. Just ask ourselves, is it true? Is it entirely true? And am I communicating this in a way that is entirely true? Is it helpful to the listener? Is it necessary that I share these things? Is it marked by kindness? One of the godliest things you can do is just keep your mouth shut. Thomas Watson uh, has been so helpful to me through these Ten Commands, and I love what he writes about this ninth. God has set two natural fences to keep in the tongue, the teeth and the lips. Keep it in. The ninth command is yet another fence that God gives so the tongue doesn't break forth in evil. So speak the truth and only the truth. The second would be to speak with love. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who here, only such as is good for building up. Do, is your language seasoned with grace? Do you use your words to build up the saints? We want to be a people who speak the truth. And we want to be a people who speak the truth in love. Uh, one of the things that I remember teaching Caden when he was still very small were these two things that fit right here. What we say matters and how we say it matters. If we're saying the right thing with the wrong tone, it's hard for the truth to hit its target. Both have to be held together. What we say matters and how we say it matters. We want to speak with love. Tucked into the language of our church covenant are words that address this very subject. This is what we've committed to do as members of this church. 
we will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We will walk together in love as Christ commands, caring for each other, watching over each other, and encouraging, there's using our language to build up the saints, and admonishing one another as occasion requires. There are times when we, when it is good and right to encourage the just mess out of somebody. Don't you think? Some of you might need that kind of encouragement this morning. At other times, it is good and right to correct one another, to speak the hard word, to speak truth out of love for that person. And so it requires careful words because we want our language not to tear down, but to build up. Uh, We want it to bruise one another, not to injure one another. And so speak with love. Oh, Ephesians 4.15, Jesus pulls these things together. The Apostle Paul quoting. We speak the truth and speak in love. And then finally, guard our neighbor's good name. Guard our neighbor's good name. We've said how much the second table of the Ten Commandments teaches us love for neighbor. Remember how we've talked about that again and again? Well, here the word neighbor comes to the stage for just a moment. And for the Christian, this is especially true because we want each of our words, our language, our communication to bring glory to God and to guard our neighbors. We stand back to back with our brothers and sisters in Christ, fighting not against each other, but fighting the forces of evil at work against us. Yesterday morning, a group of men gathered for a breakfast from our church, and we talked about biblical friendship. Gabe did such a wonderful job leading us in that conversation, and I thought about it all day. I thought how much of our gossip and slander and injury to people comes because we don't have anyone close enough to even speak to us where we've wronged God or we've wronged another person. I'm so thankful for God's grace at work in this church. And I don't think this is characteristic of who we are, but we must be on guard. And operate in biblical friendship, where if someone shares something with you, you guard your brother or sister, not sharing what they've shared with other people. Also, in this thought of just keeping our mouth shut, to remember that love overlooks a multitude of sins. And love calls us to be patient with one another. Do you remember how patient God has been with you? I've been thinking about that a lot this week. I had to repent to my oldest son for the way that I talked to him. He's teaching me now uh, what we say matters and how we say it matters. Speak the truth. Speak with love. Guard our neighbor's good name. And I want to spend the final moments of this sermon tuning our ears and spending my words about our glorious God. Our God is so great, he cannot swear by a higher name than his own. He is the very definition of truth itself. Titus 1-2 says it's impossible for him to lie. He is perfect in truth. 
And I think of the Holy Spirit, who is called in Scripture the Spirit of truth, who leads us into truth. And I want to speak of the Son, the one who is called the Word of God, the one who died in the place of liars who had broken the ninth command. And for all who have received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, and he has spoken the final words over our lives, it is finished. For the Christian, we can silence the sins of our tongue, and we can seek to honor the Lord with our words, because, well, for us, the old has gone away, the new has come. Our hearts, which once believed in the lies of this age, have now been made new by the word of truth. And the truth has set us free. I wonder if you've been silencing your ear to the word of truth, perhaps for many years now, and you've hardened your heart toward God, and these laws even just irritate you and make you angry to hear them out loud. I want to be very clear. These laws are not given to us so that we can make ourselves better until we reach a level where God would accept us. Uh, these are given to people that were already redeemed, that were already set free, that were already given salvation. And so these words, as Christians, we read them saying not how we earn salvation, but now how we honor God with our living. Um, but for you, the next step is not to try to honor God by doing right things. It's by calling on the only one who can save. And so if you have sinned against God by lying, being deceitful, gossiping, slander, uh, the Bible's very clear. You've broken God's law and command, and as a result, you deserve the punishment of hell, as each one of us did. But the good news is this, that God in love sent his one and only son to die on a cross in the place of liars. So that if you repent of your sin and trust on Jesus, his arms are wide open with forgiveness for you. I encourage you, don't delay another day, but to trust in Christ. And for each of us who are in Jesus, who are not measured, who are not judged, though we will give an account for the words we've spoken, they're not judged by the words that we've spoken, but judged by the words and work of another. Let us seek to honor the Lord, to put to death the sin that is in us by silencing those words and speaking a better word, a better word than is found in all the earth. And let's call on him now. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that even in these commandments, you show us yourself. Father, we're thankful that you have revealed your word to us and sent Jesus to live in our place of a people who could never fully obey the law and who died in our place so that we might spend eternity with you. We thank you for sending the spirit of truth who leads us in wisdom and in the truth. I pray even in these following moments and hours that your word would continue to do its work. The word that's been spoken would bear fruit. 
And I ask all this through the name of Jesus, the name that saves. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org. 